On this episode of the official Do Good Better podcast, I interview best-selling author Ryan Frederick. Listen, he wrote a book called The Founder's Manual, and I have had this long-standing idea that entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs are exactly like nonprofit leaders. They think the same, they have the same problems, they have the same funding issues, etc. And I think Ryan proves my point, and he gives such amazing advice on helping nonprofits sort of figure out how to take an entrepreneur mindset and put things into action. You know who else puts things into action? My friend Derek over at Nonprofit Leader Academy. Listen, if you had your entire life ahead of you and you were looking at nonprofit stuff and you're like, I'm running on fumes and I'm low on funding and I need a system to scale, Derek has a solution. Nonprofit Leader Academy is precisely what he has put together, which is a course on everything you need to crush it as a nonprofit leader without burning out. And he's an awesome sponsor of the show, so you should go over to nonprofitleader.academy. You get a free sample of the training. Go say hi to Derek. He's amazing. Nonprofitleader.academy. Go there today. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode of the official Do Good Better podcast because our friend Ryan Frederick who's our best-selling author of the Founder Manual, Founder's Manual, is really worth a listen. Enjoy the podcast. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk about things that uh, affect small and medium-sized nonprofits doing wonderfully great big things. And I am, uh, I'm really excited about this uh, show today. And I'm really excited about this episode because for the longest time, I've had this belief that entrepreneurship and nonprofit leadership have the same skill sets that need to be sort of either evolved or trained or uh, honed. And so I got somebody who is an expert in the entrepreneurship, and we're going to talk about that in the nonprofit world today. And I'd love to introduce my guest today, uh, Ryan Frederick. He is the uh, best-selling author of The Founder's Manual, and he's going to talk to us and help us sort of understand and connect the dots on why the idea of entrepreneurship is so in line with the idea of doing nonprofit work and nonprofit leadership. Ryan, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Patrick, thank you for having me. And I just wish that I had your level of enthusiasm and energy um, because it's it's contagious. But you know, I also think that my head might explode. It 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 has been known to happen, and I uh, I blame uh, my uh, my glass half full sort of mentality, and then the thirty eight cups of coffee that I had before we started this interview process. So it's uh, it is. I'm welcoming. So if somebody's kind of, uh, they're peering in, they're listening on iTunes or they're getting it on Amazon or they're looking through uh, YouTube to kind of see, hey, this is an interesting thing. I'd love to learn about a little bit of entrepreneurship, but they have no idea who you are, Ryan. I'd love to have like a 5,000 foot view of who you are, what you do, how you got there, and then we'll uh, start the conversation. Should be good. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey, you know, to get to this point of of having, you know, some level of experience and credibility to be able to write books. Um, so uh, that's something that I never envisioned doing. But, you know, I'm happy that it's, you know, sort of culminated in, in this. Um, and culminated is a weird word, I guess, because I, I hope it's not over today. Um, 
Um, especially since I have another book coming out and my publisher would be very disappointed if, if that didn't happen and if I perished, right, it, be, right. Be, you know, and then, um, but, you know, it was, I, I figured out that I was not a big company person at a very young age and um, had access to join a small company that, that, you know, and now we would call a startup. We just, you know, called it a small business back then. And, you know, that that's dating me. Um, but, you know, there really wasn't this cottage industry around startups and being a founder, being an entrepreneur when, when I was a young lad sort of, you know, figuring out what I was going to do with, with my life from a fresh professional perspective and um, subsequently been part of, of starting six software companies. And then I had the opportunity nine years ago to join AWH, a product consulting firm as a partner. So I did that and we've been growing and, and we've been um successful in, in our journey as a services firm, helping people to build products. Um, and then, you know, I got the opportunity to help expand a nonprofit and, and then, you know, you know, um, get into some books and that sort of thing. So, you know, it very serendipitous, but I would say the other part of it is I figured out, you know, how to make it pretty intentional after some initial serendipity. And one of the things that I, that I would say to people and I encourage people is I see a lot of people that try to start out very strategic, but not on top of a, a problem or an opportunity, right? And I would say to people that if you find an opportunity, then you can get strategic on top of the opportunity. But if you have a strategy in search of an opportunity, it doesn't work quite as well, you know, sort of in reverse. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really, I really like that because I think that speaks to the nonprofit world a lot where, I think, um, I, I think if you come with a strategy on how to solve hunger, or you try to have a strategy that solves uh, homelessness, if there's no opportunity for you, there's no need for it. Why on earth are you starting a nonprofit in the first place? And I think a lot of people just like the idea of starting a nonprofit or starting a business, but there's no need for it. Therefore, you shouldn't be getting involved in it in the first place and using your talents to use uh, whether organizations or other businesses that may be already solving the problem exactly uh, is something that. Uh, a lot of nonprofit founders don't do because either they've got, no, no damn it, I'm going to start something and uh, usually fails miserably uh, on the back end because a business plan doesn't solve a thing and they don't have the uh, wherewithal to adjust on the fly, which I think is a really interesting uh, sort of concept to maybe start to dive into is how fluid do we have to be as entrepreneurs in addressing the changes that come flying at you the minute you decide to start your business. Yeah, super fluid. And 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 that's not how and the reason it's so challenging and the reason why most things don't work is because they go against human nature. They go against the hierarchy, right? Because we're wired to seek security and comfort, right? And and ego protection, you know, et cetera. And starting a company or starting a nonprofit, starting anything really um, is the antithesis of the hierarchy, right? Because you're, you're going to be totally insecure. It's going to be a, a chaos before, before the, there's order, right? And I think that a lot of people don't do enough self-awareness going into it to understand, to first to understand it and then to correlate it to themselves and to say, how do I react to these kinds of circumstances in these situations? <clears throat> and am I, am I prepared for this? Yeah. Um, because most aren't, they just sort of take the leap because they want to be their own boss 
or you know some other you know reason that really isn't isn't viable enough to want to do this. And a lot of people start nonprofits as I've been exposed to more of that world. A lot of people start nonprofits because they they've maybe worked at one and now they want to do it on their own. They want to be their own boss and they want to sort of set their own legacy. But that's not a good enough reason. None of those are good enough reasons either. So. Yeah, I think it's super challenging. And I think the definition of entrepreneur, and I think this is across the spectrum of anybody who starts anything, a for-profit or, or a nonprofit, is problem solver. Uh, and if you don't, if you're not comfortable dealing with an unending series of problems and being the frontline fireman with the hose, right, to put out those problems, you probably shouldn't do it. That is... Um... I'm going to use that analogy the next time somebody approaches me. It's like, hey, I'm interested in starting a nonprofit. I'm going to just refer them to this podcast. I go, listen to the first 15 minutes of this episode, and you're going to figure out very quickly if you are prepared to do as such. I think one of my favorite things that you've said so far is self-awareness. I think that is one thing that is, A, lacking in general in public life and in like just in general, I think it's, it's lacking. Specifically as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's starting a nonprofit, the self-awareness to know where your weak spots are and how you address those out of the gate. Um, I know myself, I, I am a terrible person at saying no. I say yes to everything. That is my weakness as, as, a, as an entrepreneur. I get myself in trouble all the time by saying yes to everything and I got to dig myself out of the hole. So not only am I a firefighter, I'm also a ditch digger. Um, and and right. what, what other parts of, um, of self-awareness do you see are beneficial uh, or and if you don't have them, where what other trouble can you get into as an entrepreneur, as a, as a founder of a nonprofit? Yeah, I think the other aspects of self awareness that are that are really critical are, <clears throat> and I, and I guess these are related. Understanding uh, what what gets you emotional, like like what sets you off, um, and because if 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 you don't understand what gets you emotional then you probably don't know how to then control your emotions as a result of that circumstance, right? Right. And I think part and parcel with that is how do you make decisions? I think you have to know how you make decisions. Do, 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 you, are, do you react impulsively, right? And, and decide really quickly without a lot of information? Do you overanalyze? And by the time you make a decision, there's actually no decision to be made. <laughs> are you uh, are are you a super procrastinator, right? Where you know you need to make a decision, but you're actually intentionally avoiding making a decision. I think that, that self awareness around what makes you emotional and how you make decisions is critical because that's kind of what being an entrepreneur is, prof, for profit or nonprofit is you know, dealing with those problems. So you've got to understand how you tick to deal with problems effectively and then how you make decisions on top of those problems. I think if you don't know yourself around those things, then you at least better be self-aware enough to know you better figure it out really early in the journey. Because if you don't, then you're probably going to never figure it out. And you're always going to be sort of either regretting decisions or you're going to be reacting to things more emotionally than you want to be. And neither of those is probably going to serve you in the end. I am a, I'm a procrastinator at heart just because I, I always believe that I work best in stressful situations in which I need to do it right away. Uh, and so I bought a t-shirt yesterday, just yesterday, I bought a t-shirt that says, I'm not procrastinating. I'm on a side quest because I'm a super nerd. It's computer. And it made total sense to me. And I'm going to wear that all the time 
because I am self-aware enough about it. The other thing that you said was really interesting. And I think um, the hierarchy, uh, your need to start something new or your need to start a nonprofit or a business is you're almost um, um, uh, schlepping off the idea of a hierarchy. The problem is that if you start a business or you start a nonprofit, you either have a board of directors to, uh, to uh, you know, deal with, or you have customers, which are essentially also a hierarchy group of people that you have to be accountable for. Um, what are some of the steps that you can use as somebody who is in, you know, an entrepreneur or a startup of a nonprofit to understand that hierarchy? You're getting into another version of it, whether that is customer-based or board-based, and how do you deal with, yes, you are the founder, but you have other people that you are accountable for? Yeah, it's a really good point because, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken with over the years, you know, say that they want to be a founder and they, and they want to start something because they want to be their own boss and they want to have freedom of, of time and, and, and work, you know, et cetera. And it, it, there's always somebody to answer to, you know, to your point, it just differs of who you're answering to, but there's always somebody to answer to. Right. And in, in the cases of a startup, if you take investor capital and those investors or some portion of those investors end up on your board, believe me, you've got some very serious, you've got some very serious people to answer to. Yes. And the, the way that I think about it and the way that I've sort of, you know, viewed it over time is, and I've even, you know, grown and matured in, in this area is it, it, you have to be the least important person in the whole, uh, in the whole scene. So you, you have to work in the best interest of your customers, the best interest of the product, the best interest of your team, the best interest of your investors, right? Your advisors, your partners, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to be at the bottom of the list because if it remains a very egocentric endeavor, because we start things because, because of ego to a great degree, because we think we can and we think right. that we should, mm -hmm. but you've got to quickly take it from being an egocentric endeavor to being a very humble servant centric endeavor. And you, and if you can get, and if you can flip that script, it is so much better for your psyche and it's, and you react and interact with people so much better because now you're not trying to prove anything. You're, you're not tr about yourself. I should say, you're not trying to prove anything about yourself. You're trying to, you know, help others evolve and you're tr trying to, you know, give others some value and it's less about what you get out of it and your ego. So I think there's a, a lot of maturation for all of us, frankly, you know, to get into a mindset of putting others interests ahead of our own. And if we do that more often than not, my experience is you get out of it what you want. Yeah. I think um, if we could get as, as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's, who's founded something, if you can just understand that the audacity of just doing it is ego friendly enough, right? Yeah. You just did it. Like nobody, like everybody could start a business. Everybody could write a book, but nobody does. And so the audacity that you just did it, you dedicated time and energy and effort, money and, and, and blood, sweat and tears to do it should be enough. And then now you get to hand that off and give somebody else the audacity to start their own thing. And all of a sudden you started this chain reaction of new pockets of information and perspective and impact across the, uh, across whatever you're in, whether it's business or a nonprofit. I think that is 
the real mark of like a wow that person really did great things is they didn't cling to it desperately because that's all they wanted was this and I, me, mine kind of attitude. And that serving of others, I think, is a really important thing. And as somebody who works in the nonprofit world, I think you're probably listening to this and going, yeah, I know that I have to give up something, whether it is a role that you relished in doing, but now you're a leader and you can't do that anymore. Uh, and because you can't have that time suck because you're more valuable here in a leadership role rather than boots on the ground doing sponsorship solicitation, even though you probably have to be part of the process, you can't grab onto that. You have to let go and empower people to do what they do best. And you got to kind of take that step back and say, listen, I'm going to help you in any way I possibly can, but not, I'm not going to grab it and do it myself because you don't have the time to do it as a founder. Right. Right. Well, in, in, you know, presumably and hopefully you get to the point where you're the least qualified to be doing it. Yes. Yep. Right. And because you should be augmenting yourself with a team of craftspeople that are better at selling than you are. Yep. That are that are better at, at you know financial management than you are. Yep. And they're better at event planning than you are, et cetera. Yep. Um, but yeah, founders and initiators of things, um, because it is a very ego-driven centric, you know, endeavor at the beginning, they can often um lose sight of the fact that if it re- remains about them and if they remain a bottleneck, right, as part of the, of the process, then th- they're ultimately not going to accomplish what they set out to do unless what they set out to do is just to massage their own ego. Yeah. And, and that's where the self-awareness piece has to sort of come back into play, right? Is mm-hmm. there are a lot of founders, frankly, you know, in, in, in the startup world, and this is probably true in the nonprofit world too, who, really don't care as much about whether the organization succeeds to its fullest potential as long as their ego is getting massaged to, you know, a love an acceptable level. Yep. And, you know, and and they they don't even know that it's happening, right? But and but when they then talk to people like you about, well, how do I grow my how how do I grow my nonprofit and how do I think differently about it? And then you start challenging them about things. And then they start defending their actions and their prior decisions and their go forward strategy. The defending is is really wrapped in the fact that that they're still driven by the ego of being the hub of the organization versus saying, look, I want this to succeed to its fullest potential. I don't care if I have any responsibility here that's meaningful as long as we're winning and as long as we're succeeding and as long as we're providing the impact that we want to be providing. So it, but it's, but it can be hard, right? Because yeah. the, 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 the threshold that has to get crossed is founders of anything start out being the first best at everything. So they, they do have to be the first best salesperson, bookkeeper, you know, marketer, et cetera. But what they have to be aware of is when they cross the threshold of, I now need someone to take over these other areas who's better at it than I am, that they can let go of it. Because many people become the first best, you know, inside of their organization at things, and then they can't let go. Uh, Joan Gary, who's one of my um, my nonprofit uh, heroes in the, uh, in, the, in the consulting world, at least, calls it nonprofit founders syndrome, which is those individuals who start nonprofits have a goal in mind and they are so horse blinded 
blinded by that thing that they started, even though it probably has grown in scope and size and scale and needs to be expanded, can't get out of their own way because of exactly what you just said. Their self-awareness, they're, they're just in too deep. Um, and I know some of the nonprofit groups that are listening to this right now are shaking their head going, oh my God, this is exactly what my board chair who started this thing is exactly uh, doing. How do you begin the process of getting them to understand that they are getting in the way of progress at either a organization or a business? Is there is there some skill or is there some massaging you can begin? What are some of the tips and tricks that you can give to somebody who is experiencing a founder syndrome individual, whether that's a board member or a person who's founded the business? And how do you sort of shepherd them to the right place without being like, hey, you don't know what you're doing anymore, right? You don't want to, because that is combative. Um, but how how do you begin to have that conversation? Yeah, I think it it it's um, I like I like to use what I call the the the, the movie reference, where you you have to sort of paint for them how the movie plays out, right? And you have to and you have to be able to say to them um, in a very casual, non threatening situation, environment, circumstance. And you have to sit down. You have to say, "Okay, Patrick, let's let's fast forward three years, five years, right? Whatever the appropriate time period is for the organization of the person, and say, you know, here here are the cast of characters, right? There's you, and there's this, you know, and 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 what do you want the final scene to be, right? And 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 then get them sort of talking about it and thinking about what that future state looks like, but in this sort of movie reference way, and then and and if they don't, and if they don't buy in, the thing that I that I've also found that works well is, well, if what needs to change for that to happen, and if those things don't change, don't we know the ending of the movie already, right? And and aren't we going to be basically where we are today in three or five years? And don't we know how? Don't we know how this movie ends? Mm-hmm. Right. If if those things don't change and if those things don't happen. So I like sort of using, you know, that sort of movie script ending sort of vibe, right? To get somebody thinking in kind of an abstract way because it it, it allows them to sort of detach from it and just almost view the, the nonprofit or the 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 organization evolving with them at arm's length versus saying, no, no, no. You, you're in the movie, allow them to step back from it and say, let's look at this, you know, as this plays out over the next couple of years as if it was a movie, right? And it allows a little bit of emotional detachment there, which I think is beneficial because the reason that or people and organizations don't change is because they don't detach themselves from it and they can't distance themselves from it. And if they remain at the center of it, then you're not going to get much change and you're not and they're not going to get much buy-in because they haven't been able to extricate themselves from the today for the tomorrow to be different. Right. Um, there's so much to unpack right there because I think that's one of the more brilliant couple of minutes on a podcast that I've heard in a long time. And having the movie reference is great because there's nothing there's nothing worse than ending a movie and having it be unsatisfying at the end, right? Uh, I watched uh, whatever the George Clooney movie uh, that's on Netflix. It's about him and oh. uh, yeah, the Earth is dying, and he's got to contact space people to know whatever. It's horrible. Don't don't 
waste two hours on it. It's terrible. The, mo- the ending to the movie is exactly how you think it's going to end. And it is just totally unsatisfying. And I, I, at the end of the movie, I just go, ah, I'll never get that back. Um, and it's and also like this can talk about from a donor's perspective, too. So if you take and you talk to a donor about like you need to do this, but rather have them sit next to you and watch and sort of you're sitting side by side on in sort of painting the vision of where this can go. Or you take your founder or you take your board chair and, and sort of paint the vision. So you're sitting next to each other rather than uh, than across the table. And you're painting the picture of what it could be in movie reference or not. I think some of that maybe mitigates the, the challenge and the sort of like, ah, I'm all tensed up about why you're approaching me with some of these potential changes that I think need to have happen. And then all of a sudden you can get on board. You're in the same sort of vehicle because you're, you're visioning at the same token. And I think that that sitting next to you watching a movie reference whether it's a donor, whether it's a board member, whether it's a founder, whether it's a volunteer, whatever that may be in the nonprofit world, that's the best starting point when you need to make either changes or adjustments. I think that's such a beautiful and sort of simple way to have that conversation start um, when you're talking about a nonprofit or nonprofit leadership, and especially in the in the founders realm. And then really where the change happens, there's probably got to be some sort of spend or some sort of investment in individuals who could make everything better. In the nonprofit world, that's a super challenge because money is so sparse and, oh, if we spend a dollar, we'll never make it back. What's our ROI? Maybe you can enlighten those who are listening in the nonprofit world who need to expand and need to find experts to move the organization forward. How do you begin to have that conversation with those who hold the pocketbook? on your need to expand and invest in your own business or nonprofit in order to do more good. Yeah, I think it becomes a, a conversation focused on impact, right? And and the value of the impact because I think it's it we, we've we've set ourselves up, you know, um, societally and and culturally and and system-wise around nonprofits versus for-profits of nonprofits shouldn't you know shouldn't spend that much money and they shouldn't have that much intention to grow etc you know and 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 that's just not true because if you look at the most successful nonprofits they have um, enormous budgets right. they have enormous staffs mm-hmm. right they, they, they but they they also then they got to that point probably because they produced the most value and the most impact and then told the best story around their value and impact. Yes. And so, you know, if you, if you look at, at the, the most successful and best known nonprofit brands, and that's another thing that I would throw in there is nonprofits that have been the most successful also put the most effort into design and brand building and they don't take it for, they also don't accept that nonprofits aren't supposed to be good at brand and aren't supposed to be good at design. Right. And so I think that you've got to look at, at the impact and then be able to say to funders and other people around a nonprofit and say, what impact do we want to make? And then if we think that, and then what's the potential, you know, impact that we can have if we want to achieve that. And if everybody's saying that, yes, the impact potential is there, we want to achieve that. What are we willing to invest to accomplish that impact? And, and if you're and if people say, look, 
we're not in willing to invest enough to drive that impact, right? Then I think the nonprofit leadership and the board has to then revisit, well, what are we doing then? Yep. Right. Because yep. if we're not willing to invest to get to that impact and we're only willing to invest five eh, percent of what it's going to take to drive that impact, then we're saying we're okay with only five percent of the impact. Yes. Which no one would ever agree to, right? Because no one ever wants to say they're only up for helping five percent of the homelessness or five percent of the people who are hungry or five percent of the people that need skill training, right? Etc. So I think when you make it about impact and then you challenge yourselves and funders and boards, et cetera, around, well, this is what it's going to take them and drive that impact. Because that's what happens in the startup world, right? It becomes, hey, we think we've got a total addressable market of a billion dollars. Well, Dean, how much money you have to raise to access an addressable market of a billion dollars? You're probably going to have to raise a couple of hundred million dollars to do that, right? And so, and, and, and those investors who are willing to do it, step up and, and fund those companies and those that aren't, you know, don't, and they play at a different level. But I think a nonprofit has to sort of figure out what impact can it really provide and what level of funding is appropriate for that impact. And then either decide that you're going to, you're up forward or that you're, or that you're not. And if you're not, okay, say we're, we're okay just doing this much impact. Is everybody cool with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, and I think, I think there's some, there are some very hard conversations inside of that, right? And challenging conversations. And the the best sales book, um, one of the best sales books that that I've ever read that I still like and refer back to is the Challenger Sale. And I think nonprofit leaders often are not that comfortable challenging their donors, their partners, and their board. And I think many nonprofit leaders need to get a lot more comfortable having those very direct, frank, authentic, challenging conversations because their organizations are probably stuck because they've never had those challenging conversations. And I think what they'll be surprised to hear is that I think donors and investors and partners and volunteers want to have those conversations because that means you're investing the time into asking hard questions to those who have dedicated time, talent, or treasure to your nonprofit or to your business. So they appreciate it because you've come to them with a hard question. You've come to them with a hard challenge. And you're saying you're one of the few people that I trust as somebody who's either donated or given or volunteered or have dedicated time to us that I trust with this issue or this problem that we need to solve. And because we need to solve it, I'm issuing a challenge or I've got some problems that we need to solve together and what we're doing doesn't work. And that becomes a scarcity mindset. Uh, You need to get rid of that out of the gate. I think nonprofits are inundated with this right now, especially too, because they're so terrified of doing anything new or, or expanding or partnering is because they're just sitting waiting for the next, you know, pandemic shoe to fall, right? And so they, they can't move forward because they have no, uh, their audacity is gone. Their founder uh, and their sort of, um, their spark has sort of been lost because they're cowering in fear rather than going, you know what, we can actually take this and grow at 50, 60, 70%. We can do better. We can grow faster if only we do this, this, and this. And those steps become very challenging to uh, nonprofits who have lost that entrepreneur spark. And yeah, I think for that's sure. really missing uh, a lot in, at times. And I think those are the ones that are going to contract and disappear 
rather than the ones who are audacious and say, you know what? No, no, I think we got this and we're going to take a risk because you're going to be rewarded for it because you're the only ones out there doing it. Absolutely. And I'm going to say something that might be controversial to your listeners. Um, But I think that, and I've seen this as I've gotten more exposure to the nonprofit world where there's a lot of nonprofit leaders that I think, unfortunately, have what I call a politician's mindset. Because a politician, when they get elected, what's their what's their primary objective? Yep, re-elected. to get reelected. Right, right. <laughs> and so, nonprofit leaders, I think, fall into that trap of my primary objective now as a as a nonprofit leader is just hang on to what I've got. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to lose what I have. Right, and and then. And your 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 decision making and, and your judgment is then clouded because it's it's based and it's and it's foundationally anchored in this this perspective of I just can't lose what I've got. Right. And yep. and when we are anchored in I just can't lose what I've got, we stop growing, we stop challenging ourselves, we stop thinking about opportunities and what's possible, and we think about only what we have and what are the problems around what we have. But we don't do anything to, to to fix those, right? We just want to sort of put a bandaid on them and somehow hope they're gonna they're gonna go away. So I don't know. I think you know it, it's very easy for nonprofit leaders to fall into the politician trap of I just want to get reelected. And as long as I get reelected, I don't really care what else happens. And I think it's a real risk for nonprofit leaders to fight against that apathy. I think I would take it even one step further. And not only are you doing that within leadership, but you're doing that to your donors you're getting a bunch of donors and then you are not challenging them or giving them the conversations and showing them the vision of what could be. So you're just trying to maintain their gift rather than pursuing additional revenue with them. And if you are scared to ask for more, they will find another organization that's more passionate about it because they're having conversations with those donors about, listen, this is our vision. This is our thing. This is our uh, um, uh, pursuing of the betterment of our community rather than you just sort of like, well, I hope they give again because I don't, I don't want to offend them by asking for more, even though they've already committed to you financially in the first place, they want you to succeed and they want to know your growth. If they say no, so be it, but at least you're pursuing the conversation and that it's in itself is audacious. And then that becomes attractive to more donors and more groups who want to join your cause. And if you're just going to maintain, it's going to be horrible. Absolutely. Because if you're just maintaining and if you're just trying to remain at the status quo, you're actually regressing. You just don't know it yet. Exactly. Because and, and by the time you know it, by the time you know it, it's too late and you've already lost a donor. Absolutely. Do you, you know how long it takes to get a donor back? You know how much energy and effort and time and money it takes to get somebody back into the fold? Exponentially more than it does to continue the conversation and challenge them internally. Absolutely. Because if you're if you're not asking them for more somebody else is asking them for something, exactly. which is probably your more. Mm-hmm. And then once the other organization has an in right now, if they then come back on their ne- next ask and ask for more, yes, now they're probably dipping into your kitty, right? And then you're yeah. going to go down and you didn't even see, well, and then most nonprofit leaders will then say, well, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. And it's like, well, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Because they have an increase the donation for five years. Right. Because it's so, mostly because you haven't asked. Ex- exactly. Right. And so, yeah, I think there's, um, 
I, I just think, and look, challenging conversations are hard, Yeah. right? It's, uh, you know, you know, we're certainly not saying that they're easy, um, but if you avoid confrontation and you avoid challenging conversations, then you shouldn't expect that you or your organization is going to uh, evolve and grow and fulfill its potential because the growth is inside of those challenging conversations. Yep, exactly. Um, one of the things I want to hit before uh, we, we wrap up this particular uh, episode, and, and this is intriguing enough that you're, there's going to be more Ryan uh, on the uh, the official Do Good Better podcast because it's just fascinating to just stop with one episode. But um, I wanted to get back to storytelling and how important it is to be a good storyteller as both an entrepreneur and as a nonprofit leader. Because again, I think that the, as an entrepreneur at its core is exactly the type of personality that a nonprofit leader is because they're both audacious in solving problems and they're just they're stepping out of their comfort zone and doing a lot of these things. But one of them is storytelling. How important is it to an entrepreneur to be a good storyteller? And if you are a poor one, how can we fix it? Yeah. So I'm going to start out painting a, a very um, challenging scenario for both a startup and a new nonprofit. There are too many startups. Most of them don't work. Most of them are going to fail miserably. There are too many nonprofits, frankly. You know, I, I, I spend most of my time in Columbus, and I think in Columbus, there are something like 6,300 nonprofits, which is which is too much, too many. There's too much overlap, you know, et cetera. And, and so I say that because I wanted to set the stage for the fact that the odds are against you, Right. And if you don't get really good at telling your story and articulating your why and why you matter more than the others and why someone should give you their attention more than the others and why someone should give you their money more than the others, right? You're probably not going to flip the odds in your favor. And that telling of that story to flip the odds in your, fa- in your favor is all about storytelling, mm-hmm. Right. And in and to keep it you know simple, um, and then there's lots of layers to it though. If you think about a fundamental story, and you were referencing the latest George Clooney movie, which I thank you for saving me from seeing it because it's you know it's on my Netflix queue. You're very welcome. I appreciate that. Um, you know there there is a protagonist and an antagonist, right? And the the structure of stories has not changed. In hundreds of years at this point. Yeah. And what, what nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs need to think about is how do they articulate and represent the problem, the antagonist, right, it, it effectively and emotionally, that it's going to get people to feel something and to be motivated to action. And how do they position themselves as the protagonist? What's their hero story, right? Why does it make sense that they're the ones that are capable of doing this? Why should be they be? And then why should the other person support them, right? And so storytelling is critical because if you're an entrepreneur, storytelling, because none of this makes any sense, starting a company that's likely to fail is completely irrational. It's also irrational to join the team of a startup. It's also irrational to invest in a startup. It's also irrational to be a service provider to a startup because most startups aren't going to fail and probably aren't going to be able to pay their bill. Yep. So there's all this irrationality around startups, yet you can look at companies like 
Um, I don't know. We could look at Airbnb that just went you know public and just did an IPO, and we could look at some other stalwarts that everybody now knows, Uber, right? Sometimes it works, and when it works, right, it can work fabulously. But inside of it, transitioning from this is totally irrational, and none of this makes any sense to be a part of, to people wanting to be a part of it, is the founder's ability to tell the story of the new reality of this company and this product existing and how it's going to solve the problem and overcome the antagonist. And if somebody isn't good at storytelling, because storytelling isn't just you can put a deck together and you can send it to people or you can walk through the deck in a very ho-hum sort of way. Really good storytelling is emotive and and it is it overcomes logic right because if if you're looking at a story of irrationality to rationality right logic has no place inside of that right and so a founder and a nonprofit leader's ability to tell the story effectively is how do they create emotion and how do they get people motivated to act and a lot of that is delivery. A lot of that is what are they emphasizing? What are they de-emphasizing? A lot of it is also being authentic, right? And not hiding the bad parts or the potholes along the way, but pointing them out and saying, hey, we know this is going to be tough. We know this is likely going to happen. We know this is probably going to happen. And you know what? We're aware of them. We'll figure it out when we get there. Or we have a plan to mitigate those potholes. But I don't think you go into it Pollyannish. I think you go into it authentic and, and um, I don't like the word passionate because I think it's been overused right. and it's been diluted over time, but I think you go into it, you know, very intentionally and you get people to, to understand what the new reality and the vision is and, and how you're going to get there. So one of the things I actually recommend to, to uh, entrepreneurs is that they get, they get a speech coach yeah. and they, and they get somebody that can help them evolve you know, these pieces and parts that they've got right around the founder story and how they identified the problem and why they, they're the ones that want to solve it and why they're capable of solving it. Most people do not have the storytelling skills innately to tell a good story. And I think that they need help telling the story because, and this is a, and this is, you know, the last thing that I'll say on it. And I know that it's still mostly bad, uh, because I get a lot of pitch decks and I see a lot of pitch decks, you know, from startups looking for investment. And one of them, to their credit, the pitch deck was only seven slides because usually they're they're massive. Yeah. Um, but this company's last slide listed six five, Fortune 500 companies that were customers. And I, I messaged them back and I said, why is this not your first slide? Yeah. Why did you bury the lead of the story? Yeah. On the last, because I said some investors aren't even going to get to the last slide, and and so they obviously need help storytelling because their pitch deck buried the lead, right? Yep. If if I was that company, I would have the first slide be, we've already got six five hundred, you know, Fortune five hundred customers. Now let me tell you how we got them. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. And so you know, I know that it's still a big problem in the entrepreneur space. I'm assuming it's still a pretty big problem in the nonprofit leadership space. Storytelling is not as good as it could be. And it's because it doesn't need, I, I think it needs a little bit of training and people can get better at it once they have a little bit of guidance, 
but I don't think that people on their own are going to become great storytellers if they're if they haven't been intentional about it so far. Well, the other thing too is that in the nonprofit world, especially, is they don't like to brag about their wins. They like to hide them because they're embarrassed oh. about being successful. And I'm like, well, how in the hell are people going to want to give to you if you don't know? Tell them that you're doing well. Like, so the burying the lead is like a nonprofit thing. They Ooh. love doing that. And like that's why I said nobody wants to be the first donor, but everybody wants to like, oh crap, that person, that person, and that person donated. Well, I got to be on that because either I'm an ego-driven donor or I see that all these other people have jumped on the bandwagon too. And I definitely want to be a part of this winning team because you already did the hard work. Well, if you don't brag about it, if you don't tell stories about it, that's the that's a major, major problem. And I think that goes back to self-awareness. Are you a good storyteller? And if you aren't, find somebody who is to give you some help into crafting that message. Because whether you're an entrepreneur looking for startup funds or you're, an entre- you're a, a nonprofit leader looking for funds, you need to tell a better story that emphasizes your impact and the way that you have been successful. And even if you need to story tell about like, listen, we don't have enough money yet to make this impact, but this is what we could do if you jumped on board as well. And again, have them sit next to you and watch that movie and have them lead, uh, lean on you to say, listen, together, we're going to be able to do this rather than sitting across the table going, you should invest in us, blah, 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 blah. Because nobody wants to be talked to. They want to be brought along on the journey itself. Absolutely. And one of the things I would I would say is, because uh, I think you, you encapsulated it there, is you've got to believe, yes. right? For yep. you to be a, an effective storyteller, you have to believe the story that you're telling. And if you don't, it's going to come across. And, and that's where I was uncomfortable using the word passionate. Right. I think it's more about believability, right? Yep. You yep. had better believe the story that you're telling, because if you don't, it'll come across and you won't be convincing. Speaking of storytelling, and I would be remiss if I did not mention this, that you are a best-selling author of the Founder's Manual. Let us uh, hear about what that book is, why you wrote it, uh, what impact that it's made uh, with other founders. And I believe, is my uh, intuition here, that it can be used in the nonprofit world for leadership as well. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, I wrote it because I saw, you know, founders, you know, continuing to sort of not understand some of the principles of being a founder th- that I think are critical to to someone's success and and in increasing the odds of a a an an unlikely successful outcome. And so I talk a lot about the human aspects and the things that are counterintuitive, um, some of which we've talked about. um, And, you know, I, you know, it's had, I've gotten good feedback. It's, it's gotten good reviews. I think it's, it's helped people. I think it's, you know, they're getting, they're, they're getting good value out of it. So, you know, that's why I really, you know, wrote it because I started actually um, a bulleted list, almost like a journal. Cause I would just, I would just have ideas and I showed it to my, I showed it to a friend of mine mine who, who, who wrote a book and he said, Oh, my publisher would, would totally do a book around this. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, they would, they would write a book. They would do a book with you about this. So I reached out to him and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And so I never really intended to write a book, but you know, after doing it, I'm, I'm certainly glad that I did because I enjoyed the process uh, and, and I enjoyed it enough to write another book that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And that is also available now on, on Amazon for pre-order. So if, if anybody thinks that there's something, you know, in the conversation that, that, you know, we've talked about that, you know, might be of interest, some of the nuggets that we've talked about are, are in the book and in the, uh, in the next book that's coming out. 
Outstanding. And then where can people go to either find you? Because I, at the end of this conversation, I think if you're not motivated enough to like, okay, I think I got this or, hey, I, I filled some holes today with, uh, with some nuggets of information that's going to help me lead either my team or my organization or my business. Um, how do they get a hold of you? How do they work with you, Ryan? How do they get a hold of AWH? How do they order your new book? How do they get the founder's manual? Give us the rundown on how we can connect with one Ryan Frederick. Yeah, well, the list is long, which is also kind of embarrassing because I never really wanted to become one of those people that that shouted off 19 websites for people to visit. That's okay so, because we're going to mention all of them in the show notes. So you could be the top three or four, and we'll re- put the rest. Okay, <laughs> okay, good. That save that saves me from you know becoming you know the egotistical <laughs> narcissist that I didn't want to become. Yeah. So AWH is awh.net. That's the product firm that that I'm now a partner at. Um, the Founders Manual's website is thefoundersmanual.com. And then the other book um, is available on pre-order. And, you know, I, my personal site that the other book is also available through is ryanfrederick.biz. So those are probably the three primary ones. And then if people want to reach out on social platforms of their preference and they can find me there, happy to connect there as well. I love it. We'll have, again, we'll have all those in the in the show notes. And of course, we'll, we'll post this on uh, social and connect. Uh, there as well. Ryan, I really want to appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, this was just really fantastic as one founder and as a nonprofit uh, leader as well. This sort of hit home a lot today and it was just a wonderful conversation. And it, and I think it's going to help a lot of either nonprofit leaders, board members, or business owners who find uh, this podcast as well. I want to thank you so much for your brain power and your time today on the official Do Good Better podcast. Patrick, thank you. Appreciate it, my friend. Bye. Documenting donor information is the most important thing you can do as a fundraiser, as a nonprofit organization. And hey, if you don't know where to start and try to figure out where and what system to get, go to DonorDoc.com. DonorDoc is the CRM system, the donor database system. It has wonderful reporting. It has easy-to-use dashboards. Frankly, it's the greatest thing that you will have at your disposal as a fundraising organization. Go to DonorDoc.com. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.